0: Welcome to Generational Wealth MD's podcast on financial freedom through investing in real estate. My name is Param Baladandapani. I'm a mom, radiologist, real estate investor, and mentor to others looking to start or scale their real estate portfolios. Thank you for being here today. The goal of this podcast is to provide you with inspiration, strategies, and insight so that you can stop trading your time for money and live life on your terms. If you love the episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Today, guys, I have with me um, Kevin and uh, Mike. They are with Pine and, uh, and a co-CPA. They, uh, they work with uh, physicians, real estate investors, small business owners, short-term rental owners around the country. So excited to have you guys on with us today.
1: Yes. Thank, Thank you, you so, you much, so for- much. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Pam.
0: Thank you, guys. Uh, You know, I I truly believe that tax planning has to be part of everyone's wealth strategy, right? Uh, And, you know, there is the magic of compound interest and there's leverage, but tax reduction, I think, is a big part of, uh, of, uh, you know, should be a big part of your wealth strategy. So I'm excited that you guys are on here. And I'm really hoping that, um, you know, we can talk about real estate investing and the tax benefits and maybe even talk about um, the way physicians should be thinking about corporations and entities later on. But just to start off, if you guys can um, just go over, you know, you work with a lot of real estate investors, uh, and many of them are physicians. So if you could just go over the tax benefits that uh, the tax uh, code affords to real estate investors.
2: Sure, sure. So there's a lot of caveats in the IRS code to allow for utilizing real estate to offset your physician, other active income. Um, There's certain hurdles we have to kind of jump over before we can get there. But with the right advice and the right team in place, coaching, uh, attorneys, accountants, insurance, you have all these people around you to build a team uh, and you have different uh, people giving you advice on specific subjects, we're able to hone in on this tax code and utilize it for your benefit. Uh, A lot of it's going to be um, segmented around bonus depreciation, utilizing depreciation to Uh, push you more into a taxable loss on real estate property, not a cash loss. Now, there's a difference between a cash loss and a tax loss. We always want your real estate to be cash positive. But with creative accounting, uh, we can push you into a taxable loss. And so we can kind of get more into that a little bit later of how that's done. Um, So we're really excited to talk about this. And this is Mike and I's passion. Um, Most of our client base is and our physicians getting into real estate to try to be uh, phasing out of that kind of rat race of just always working, 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 and utilizing just smarter investing strategies to build wealth and find just freedom.
0: Absolutely. And um, I like what you said, um, Kevin, it's all about strategy, right? Because, um, you know there you do have paper losses in real estate. You're actually generating positive cash flow, but because of depreciation, you end up getting paper losses. So your cash flow from um, rental real estate is often is is most often, if you structure it correctly, it's going to be tax free. But you know, you talked about how if physicians want to use real estate to actually shelter clinical income, then there are hurdles that they need to cross. Like it's not automatic. Right. So can we go into that a little bit? Can we talk about um, passive activity loss limitations when it starts phasing out and what physicians can do to be um, to strategize around that?
2: Yeah. And that's very important because as a full-time physician, uh, you're going to have to, and if it's just you now, if you're married, we can kind of get into the strategy of utilizing your spouse To get into real estate to offset some of these hurdles, but there's two trains of thought and two types of real estate. The first one being long term real estate. That's going to be your year long leases kind of your traditional uh, leases. The second one's going to be your short term real estate your vacation rentals your Airbnb, VRBOs, those are going to be your seven day leases or less. Average lease time needs to be seven days or less. There's hurdles um, for both. And um, as a full-time physician, you're gonna probably utilize the short-term real estate more than the long-term real estate, but we can get into how that is. So in long-term real estate, there's two hurdles. The first one you're gonna have to pass is being a real estate professional under the IRS code. And what that entails is 750 hours of qualified real estate activities each year. And over half your working time has to be in real estate. So if you're pulling 2,300 hours as a physician, there's just no way over half your working time is going to be in real estate. So that's where a spouse can come in because if you file jointly on a tax return, your spouse can qualify as a real estate professional We could utilize your physician income to invest into long-term real estate and utilize the real estate professional designation. So at that point, there's a little roundabout way you can utilize it. So assuming you meet hurdle one of real estate professional, hurdle number two is material participation. So that means even though you're a real estate professional, if you're not actively involved in your rental properties, you're not going to be able to utilize those losses to offset your physician income. So um, there's actually some really good strategies involved around material participation when dealing with long-term real estate as well, meaning You can have multiple rental properties and we can make an election on your tax return to group all of your rental properties into one activity. So you don't have to materially participate in each single home, but instead just materially participate in the group and material participation. And I can get really granular with it, but it's it's a seven part test. And to give you an idea of what the IRS is looking for when it comes to material participation is you only have to pass one of the seven parts. The baseline safe harbor is 500 hours managing your property. If you spend 500 hours managing, talking with the tenants, doing your self-repairs, you could do your own repairs, um, 500 hours, you're going to be, no questions asked, you're going to be a material participant. Now that rental property is no longer a passive activity, but an active. Uh, The second one would be 100 hours. So you could do 100 hours um, on that property, but you also have to produce more time than anybody else on that property. So if you have a management company, then more than likely you're going to be passive in it, because if if you have someone managing the property, I'm not sure what kind of active work you're doing on the property. So those those gives you kind of some ideas and there's five other tests, but those that'll give you some idea of what we're looking at when it comes to material participation.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, you were absolutely right about that, Kevin. The way you look at it is it's different for long-term rentals and short-term rentals right and with long-term rentals we need to meet qual-, uh, qual you know you need to qualify as a real estate professional status and hit material participation which can be hard for someone who's working full-time and like you said that's where you bring a spouse in possibly who's, mm-hmm. who's interested in doing it and then you tag team and you make it work with short-term rentals uh, like you said it's completely different if your average stays seven days or less over the course of the year then you just need to meet material participation right you, you don't have to Got jump it. through that loop of uh, real estate professional Status. Now, um, so once someone's is strategizing around this, could you talk to us also about bonus depreciation, which is something that we got with the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, right? So, and sure. how that's been helping real estate investors.
2: Yeah. So, the Tax Cuts Job Act was really pro real estate. And this is bonus depreciation. It's basically taking um, an asset that has a useful life of greater than one year. And so, under IRS code, if you go buy a house, you have to depreciate that over 27 and a half years. But there's ways that we can get bonus depreciation, which just means instead of depreciating it over a a long life, 27 and a half years or 15 years, whatever the class is, uh, the IRS allows you to actually front load your depreciation into the first year. So if you buy a $10,000 improvement to your property, you remodel a bathroom. Typically, you're going to have to depreciate that over 15 years. Well, with the Tax Cuts Job Act, that $10,000, instead of getting that little deduction each year, we get to take it all in one year. And so that's where we kind of circle back to, I can get you a paper loss on your tax return via bonus depreciation. And assuming you meet material participation or real estate professional hurdles that we just talked about, that's step one. Step two is then get into a loss. Now that loss can offset your physician income, that bonus depreciation. So it's a great strategy.
0: Yeah, and, um, oh, sorry, Mike, go ahead.
1: Yeah, thanks. I was just going to add, in in a lot of cases, when you're starting off, it's hard to get into an active real estate professional situation where you can only get active depreciation or, or offset your active income. Passive losses aren't a terrible thing either, as long as you're cash flowing positive. So if you have passive income producing properties, your passive losses from other passive loss producing properties, again, tax loss, not cash loss, can help offset those. And also just investing in whether you're you're starting a syndication or investing in someone else's syndication, if you're passive, Bonus depreciation is still an awesome thing. It might not be able to reduce your physician income or your other active income, but what it can provide is tax-free distribution. So if you get a net passive loss, let's say you you invest in a property, but you're not a real estate professional, whether you own it or you invest through a syndication, you're going to get allocated some bonus depreciation if you take the steps to do so. And Kevin can walk through those in more detail, but you'll have this net passive loss. And if you don't have other passive income to offset it with, it sits there as a net operating loss. the net passive operating loss or net passive loss, and it carries forward. It carries forward indefinitely, and it can carry forward as you produce operating income. It can offset that income and eliminate it, so you have zero taxable income. But hopefully, have operating cash flow distributions either from your own property or your syndicated property, or if you're a syndicator and looking to get syndicate, you can do this. Offer the same opportunity to your investors as well
0: yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And the funny thing is I hear people all the time say, well, their passive losses are not going to be able to use them, so they don't make the effort to log it or maximize their passive losses. A very valid point over there, you really need to be doing that because they're just suspended, you're not losing them, and you are able to use it you know at some point. So um, uh, just as a um, you know uh, just a follow up question to that uh, Mike, how how do these passive losses get freed up? How and when do they get freed up, and when do they actually convert into active losses?
1: Sure. So they won't get converted into active losses. Once passive, they're always passive unless and until you dispose of the asset. When you dispose of the underlying asset, it's freed and it becomes an active loss. So if if you have a house you, you buy a single family residence house. You do take bonus depreciation. Let's say you have $100,000 passive loss carry forward. You go into the second year and you sell it. Let's say you sell it for break even. You don't have a gain to offset it or any income. You break even. Now you have $100,000 active loss that can be freed up to offset your other active income. But again, the other the other way we most commonly see it used and one of the more powerful ways is as you're growing, especially for those physicians who are trying to build an income producing um, freedom enhancing portfolio. Um, those passive losses can offset any pa- other passive income and similar type investments, as long as you know to group those properties and file the proper election with your tax return so that they're all aggregated and losses are offsetting income from other properties. But you have to file that election. And that, that is one of the more common mistakes Kevin and I see with new clients coming into us. That election has not been filed and it's, it's, a, it's a shame.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then I just wanted um, to ask about one more thing while we're talking about this. Now, with physicians, uh, some of them own surgical centers, and endoscopy centers, and there is a, um, ha- and you've probably done this with a lot of your clients, um, some of that income can be, um, you know, um, structured in a way that it's actually passive income, and then that could be used to offset uh, passive losses from real estate.
2: Yeah, I I think you're getting into shifting rents if you own your own center, that as long as we have market rents and you own the building that you operate out of, yes, we can definitely get creative and we can get aggressive with the rental agreement that you have essentially with yourself. We could shift income from your business, your practice, shift it into the building, and then we can um, accelerate some depreciation over here. So essentially, we're taking income from your uh, business, shifting it over to your uh, surgery center, the actual building, and then because of depreciation, you're not going to pay any tax on that transfer. So as long as you, you're, you, you have your good rental agreements and they're marketable, I mean, you don't want to just go out and go crazy and go 20000 a month is my rent. It's not market. The IRS is going to kick it out. So we have to be reasonable, but that's where your team of attorneys, accountants, that's where we come in.
0: Right, right. Absolutely. You're absolutely right about that. And you know, it's it's all about timing and about having the right people and having the right structures in place instead of going retroactively and trying to do something that uh, that's just not going to work. Um, um, Kevin, while we're talking about short-term rentals, um, so a lot of our members invest in long-term rentals, short-term rentals, um, syndication. So when we're talking about short-term rentals, uh, we talked about material participation, right? Uh, but um, And we talked about uh, an average stay of seven days or less over the course of the year. Um, what other things do people need to remember when they try trying to, you know, um, acquire short-term rental and bonus depreciate, right? What are the rules in terms of placing it in service before the end of the year? Um, uh, Other things that they need to keep in mind.
2: Yeah. A a common question I get is how long do I have to hold the property until I can get depreciation? And the answer is uh, just, I just need you to have it rented, at least try to be rented. What the IRS says is that it has to be available for use, And Mike and I, we live in the gray area of the tax code. Uh, We feel that most CPAs should. If you're not, if you're too conservative, you're paying too much tax. If you're too aggressive, you're probably a little too risky, but we want to be in that gray area where what is available for rent or in service? And I classify it as if you have a rental property and you close on it, let's say December 1st, you do a little repairs, fix up. And then by December 20th, You just put it on Airbnb or VRBO, you are ready to go. I would take that as, okay, this is an asset placed in service in this tax year, even if you rent it or not. Because I can defend in front of an IRS agent, they tried. I mean, we had it on the market. It was available for rent. It was in service. This asset was ready to go. We just didn't get a renter. Ideally, we want at least a renter in there and have some cash exchange that just tightens everything up a little bit. But we can make an argument that in service just starts when it's available.
0: That's that's great information because this is a common question we get all the time. Yeah. Now, we also talked about syndication. We talked about how passive losses and syndications, you know, how you could optimize it and actually use it to your advantage. Some of our, many of our members, um, you know, invest passively in syndications are also doing active, um, you know. uh, are also owning real estate actively. So um, I wanted to talk about the 9G grouping election that you guys mentioned and say, if you are able to meet real estate professional status and material participation, is there a way that they can group their syndication um, uh, along with their active real estate portfolio using that election and then convert those syndication losses into active losses if they're meeting all the criteria?
2: Yes. So that's, you hit on the key point as if you just invest only in syndications and you're not active in the management of the fund, you're not managing the multifamily deal or the syndication, you are passive. The key is gonna be one, to reach that real estate professional designation and two, to materially participate in some other long-term real estate, meaning maybe you have a duplex that you own and you actively manage it. You meet material participation there. Now we do exactly what you said. We make that election. We group your duplex in with your syndication Make it one activity because they're like kind, long term rental activities. You can do that. Then, yeah, now the bonus depreciation from your syndication deal. I can have an argument saying once we group them together, now all your losses are together as active losses. Now, the only caveat to this, and it gets kind of confusing to when you just read the tax code, but with short term real estate, you cannot make a grouping election with short term real estate. So if you materially participate in an Airbnb or VRBO and invest in a syndication, I cannot make that election. So th- what happens with short-term real estate is you're actually taking the position. You're not in real estate at all. So that's how we're get- we're able to get around the real estate professional designation hurdle is because we're saying you're not in real estate. You're functioning in active business. You mm-hmm. you have started a day-to-day rental business and the passive losses for related to real estate don't apply to you. So that's how we why we can't make that election, but um, with long term, you most certainly can.
0: Yeah, and that's a that's a great point. And this this is a question that comes up all the time. Also, your long term rentals are you know, um, are very different from your short-term rentals and you can group all your long-term rentals and you can group your short-term <laughs> rentals, but they can be combined. Now, um, how does it work for material participation and realistic professional status? Do the 750Rs have to come just from the long-term rentals um, and just from the short-term rentals, or can you combine those Rs for your reps um, and, for, and for material participation? Uh, well, actually more for real estate professional status than for material participation.
2: Yeah. Um, So real estate professional designation is you can actually include more hours in that than what you would with material participation. So what real estate professional hours would be, you can even include market research. Uh, You can get your um, uh, your realtor license and the time spent educate with education and getting all these. Uh, certifications. And we could be a lot more uh, wide and broad with what constitutes as to that 750 hour real estate mark. Hmm. Uh, When you get to material participation, that is going to be participation on a specific property. So you doing, you know, and we can kind of talk about does time researching this property I bought, you know, negotiating, but you actually bought the property. Does that time count? I would include it. Um, So material participation would be the actual management of that property, Um, you know, talking with the tenant, fixing it up, those sorts of things. When you actually have a property and you're working it, Um, all time outside of actual material participation can go towards your 750, but actually your material participation hours on your long-term can actually count towards the 750 as well. So um, there's kind of two different buckets of time you have to track, and, and that's another point is... Tracking your time is very important. So, like as a CPA or an attorney, we do everything by the hour. You almost have to think of yourself in that mindset to where, if you sit down and work on your rental property, you're going to say, "Okay, it is January twentieth, seven p.m. I worked uh, from seven p.m. to nine p.m." And you put it, you put the date, time, and description of what you did. You make a cumulative log. And then that's going to be our defense if the IRS ever challenged material participation or real estate professional status.
1: If I could just kind of go back to the area of difference between real estate professional rep status versus short-term rental um, and and how they're differentiated. And I think understanding the history of the tax law helps kind of clarify because we get a lot of clients and even a lot of CPAs that have come and spoken to us that that don't really understand why they're different. Um, The law started off with, Long vacation rentals was a real estate professional activity used to be that way Mm -hmm. and eight or 10 years ago as Airbnb started getting larger and larger there were a lot more people claiming real estate professional status, and it was aggravating people at the IRS and the Treasury Department they lobbied Congress and said hey. there's too many real estate professionals. These guys aren't really real estate professionals. they got a vacation rental. That's more like something else, a hotel or something. That's not a real estate professional activity. So Congress agreed and they passed a new law that flat out says any property that has an average lease length of less than seven days is not a real estate professional activity, which I love America. I love our Congress. (laughs) I love the IRS because they thought they fixed it. But what they did was open up a whole new world of depreciation for people that otherwise couldn't qualify for it. Um, I thought it was brilliant. That's not their intended consequence, but I love the consequence, and our clients do too, and I I assume you do as well, Param. Um, But because of that, any time you spend on your short-term rentals or vacation rentals can't go into the same time bucket that you're trying to qualify for rep status. That 750 hours has to be on real estate professional activities. It can't be on short-term rentals. And your short-term rental time that you're tracking for material participation can't come from your rep time now there's a lot of time that is gray area and as long as we can argue with a straight face in front of the irs that this time was for whichever your intended um activity was then Mm. we're we're likely to get away with it and then finally i would just add to to kevin's comments on tracking your time one of the bigger mistakes that we see with clients that are claiming either reps or material participation um, not to pick on physicians but we see this a lot with physicians because you guys are so darn busy and you've got bigger things to worry about like saving people's lives versus keeping a time log but it gets to be september october and we ask them hey how's your time log going and they're like i, I did really good through january and then i kind of dropped off and we say okay well let's try to work on re- re- you know recreating it from scratch it is so hard to remember what you did two days ago much less 10 months ago so we strongly recommend that you keep an, an active log and there are tools that you can do it i mean kevin and i are accounts we like excel that's probably our preferred method but a lot of our clients they're not big into excel or they're always on the move and and it's not easy to use excel on your phone so we recommend apps like whether it's quickbooks time that comes with quickbooks online or Mm -hmm. t sheets or sorry not t sheets anyway that is quickbooks time now Um, clockify some kind of app that is built to track your time if it's going to help you actually track it in real time it's it's important we recommend that
0: yeah, that, that's great, uh, Mike. Um, and, and that's why I, I always recommend to members within the community also. Just do it as you're going along because if you had to go back and do it, you're going to miss a lot of hours and you're gonna, it's going to seem fabricated, right? Um, so let's just, uh, as we're talking about that, let's talk about audit proofing your records, right? For a real estate investor. So just a few tips that you would give to someone. You talk, we talked about the app, right? And I think I use the app a lot. If I had to do it on Excel, I think it would be harder for me. And, and that's a great tip. But other tips that you have for uh, our real estate investors in terms of, you know, keeping logs accurately <laughs> this way, they protect themselves when it's time for an audit.
2: Yeah, it's very important. So receipts, typically that's going to be the proof that you had any expenditures that are a credit card statement. So we always recommend when you buy uh, rental properties, uh, you know, we would we would always seek the advice of counsel an attorney, a licensed uh, attorney who can give you uh, legal advice. Mike and I aren't attorneys, but we've been in rooms with plenty of them uh, and they typically advise that you start a, an LLC or a series LLC, um, develop a good structure to start. Once you get your LLC, get your own bank account, because if you're going to get audited and um, it's going to be a lot easier to defend the audit once we know all the income and expenses of this rental property came out of one bank account and one credit card in this LLC. If you commingle with your personal assets, I mean, the, the IRS agent could say, yeah, you went to Lowe's and spent 500 bucks, but you also have a nice grill. So w- how do we defend it? So it's really gonna be good to make sure that we have good accounting records, a good structure in place. Um, and you know, as you start to get more aggressive in this depreciation, and even though it's it's aggressive, but it's all, all under the IRS code and it's, we're gonna tie everything up in a nice little bow and we're gonna do our due diligence with the um, reporting and the tax return but that does increase your audit risk only because you're now going to have this huge loss from bonus depreciation that you're going to be offsetting your income. The IRS is, it's going to raise, it's going to raise some eyebrows. So we want to make sure in the year that we do this cost seg that kind of all of our ducks in a row and talking about the time log, Um, you know, making sure that you have good records, checking records and books and making sure, you know, we're not scared of audits. Um, you know, I, I don't take positions on tax returns, um, you know, avoid p- strong positions on tax returns just because of an audit. We utilize the code and we're ready to defend it. And so it's just all a matter of being aggressive, but also obeying the law. So it's balancing those two things. But um, being audited necessarily isn't fun, but it can be it can be easier with the proper help. <laughs> it could be a
1: lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. I would also add that, um, just to add to some of Kevin's comments, so like some of the things that you're going to do, especially in short-term rentals, but also long-term, but particularly just to kind of make an example for vacation rentals. Some of the time you're gonna spend to qualify for material participation is market research. which can include going out and finding the best restaurants to recommend to your guests, or the best jet ski rental place, or downhill skiing rental place, or tourist uh, or or tour operators, depending on wherever your place is. And it can count for long-term rentals too. So you're gonna use that for your time, but in order to use that for your time and take the deductions to to be able to deduct those dinners, to be able to deduct that jet ski rental, Try to add something about the places, either why to go there or why not to go there, either in your listing or in your guest book or in some kind of record or communication to ultimate people who are paying you revenue and that way you can prove a business intent it's you had an economic intent to earn profit by going to that place and spending that money and spending that time so just try i mean you doctors are great at y'all chart everything when it comes to your patients do it for yourselves as well and your businesses treat your business like you treat a patient um
0: such valid, valid points, Mike and Kevin, uh, and and that's where the it, you know the importance of having a real estate um, savvy CPA comes in, right? And I work, I, I've had uh, CPAs in the past where you know we've made mistakes uh, in, in terms of how they recorded the basis. Partial asset disposition was never even accounted for, um, and you know I've I've had uh, members within the community where you know depreciation hasn't been taken. It's just it's just crazy. So what mistakes do you commonly see when, pe- uh, when people with people who come in where they've had a prior CPA wasn't very um, real estate focused. Um, that, you know, so just, just to give a few examples of how important it is to have someone who knows what they're doing as far as real estate investing is concerned. Yeah,
2: I think one of the craziest uh, I've come to in, in over 14 years of practice is we had a client who came to us. They did everything right. The client did. They got the cost seg. They bought the right property. They did everything they were told to do, gave the cost egg to their CPA. The CPA didn't even take bonus. Wow. So I looked at the tax return. I was like, you got a cost seg on this house. And yeah, I'm like, well, there is no loss. Like you are barely, I mean, you should be seeing the weight. And so we had to go back and amend the return. We actually talked with that CPA and he fought with us about it. It was the craziest experience I've had in practice. So it happens. You can do everything you want and you should do track your time, do all this stuff. But you hand it to a CPA who's not focused in real estate, does not understand material participation. Uh, does not understand a real estate professional. I mean, you could have four long-term rentals and he has no idea that your spouse is running it. He has no idea that you can make an election to group it. He has no idea you can maybe do four cost segs now. And then now you can deduct all the depreciation against your taxable income. So it's very common. It's very, real estate is a very niche part of the IRS code. And there's a lot of fun things in there um, that we can kind of play with. So yeah, I've, I have seen my fair share though. <laughs> of
1: yeah, thing. I think the grouping election, like Kevin mentioned the ability to, to take, um, Active status. If someone qualifies as a rep for long-term rental, we see a lot of CPAs that still don't believe in on a short-term rental. If you materially participate and you're not a real estate professional, you can take the depreciation. And then another big one that Kevin and I have been running into a lot with newer clients is CPAs that don't pay attention to your lendability. If your goal and your focus and your your financial plan is to grow in your real estate portfolio and you're you're doing it through leverage, which you should do with as cheap as money is today. Although Kevin and I are strong believers fixed-rate mortgages, especially today. Yes. But very strong believers in it. But if you're planning on growing through leverage, your CPA needs to understand what lenders are looking at when their underwriters are looking at. And, and one of the biggest... Biggest mistakes that we've seen, and quite honestly, w- while back we used to make it too because we didn't know it. But we yeah. we did a cost segregation for someone who finally had become a real estate professional. So we took a bunch of prior catch up depreciation on his tax return. The IRS says, well, you should put it on an other deduction line on your your schedule that's reporting your depreciation. Well, then he went to go file for a um, a mortgage or a refinance, and the lender's like, um, your debt to income is too low. And he said, but that three hundred thousand dollar expense, that's depreciation. And the lender said, no, it's, it's not on the depreciation line. We argued back and forth with that lender and they wouldn't accept it until we amended the return and put on depreciation. So now we focus a lot of time making sure anything that can potentially show up on the depreciation line, especially while we have 100% depreciation, it goes on the depreciation line. So you don't have qualms with your lenders. There's other small items like that that can add up and make a difference. But repairs and maintenance, as long as we have 100% bonus and probably next year, if you're focused on growing through leverage, even when it's 80% bonus depreciation next year, potentially even 60%, in 2024 before, in my humble opinion, we're gonna get bonus depreciation back 100% because our economy needs it. Um, But anything that you can move and claim, this has a useful life of greater than one year. Repairs and maintenance. We normally as CPAs, when you're just focused on the tax dollar, you throw it in repairs and maintenance. You get the tax deduction. But if you can throw it to a capitalized asset and then deduct it as bonus depreciation, suddenly it doesn't impact your debt to income. As a matter of fact, it improves your debt to income ratios, which helps lendability a lot. So most CPAs, and they don't teach us as CPAs to care about lendability. When you are focused on tax, you only focus on tax income and, and reducing your taxes. But you, you as a real estate investor need to focus on lendability as well if you're using leverage. And um, that's a big mistake we see a lot, CPAs that don't care or don't know.
0: Yeah. I think that's a, that's a very important discussion to have with the clients before you go ahead and, you know, file their taxes as such so that you understand what their goals are. And if that's something that's going to be important to them, that's going to affect their lendability. You really want to plan accordingly. and That's such a valid point. Um, so time. And again, you guys, you know, everything you've said, um, it just, highlights the fact that timing is so important with these strategies and, and, you know, just planning ahead of time. Now, um, Kevin and Mike, um, so I I know that you guys offer not just tax filing, but tax planning services also, right? In addition to uh, preparing taxes.
2: Yes. So uh, we are a tax only firm. Mike and I, we used to be your traditional CPA firm. We would offer you accounting, payroll, tax. If you needed anything, Mike and I would jump through a hoop, learn it, figure it out. Uh, we have come to figure out that really that's not the best way to service our clients. The IRS code is getting way too complicated. The IRS code is getting thicker and thicker. So the best way Mike and I have found and our passion is tax strategies, finding these little areas, gray areas in the IRS code and living in those where otherwise if we were more generalist, we couldn't. So yes, we are a tax only firm, but if you need accounting services or payroll services, Mike and I will have solutions for you. Um, But we really focus on tax planning, tax structuring and compliance. All of those are very necessary and need to be all done uh, under one roof so that we make sure this machine is going forward in the direction it should. And you don't have different professionals kind of piecing in parts to make it go. You want we want some sort of control and um, making sure that it's done properly.
1: Yeah, Kevin awesome. and our favorite kind of clients, our favorite clients are ones that'll work with us throughout the year to proactively tax plan. Mm-hmm. The clients that call us up on January 8th and say, hey, by the way, I sold these three properties and got the stock ops and all that happened last year. What can I do about it? And we're like, nothing, it's, it's, it's January 1st, that was last year. But we can help and add a lot more value with our clients during the year to proactively tax planning. And let's create a strategy. And if you're gonna stray from the strategy, we need you to call us, We need you, or you need to work your CPAs, if y'all come up with a strategy and you change something or something happens that you can't turn down, call your CPA, work with them and make sure you're doing it in a tax opportune way. There's one or two different words in a contract can change the complete world for taxation. So we're big believers and we love it. Tax planning is where we add value and where your CPAs can add value to your lives. Um, Tax preparation, it's a necessary evil. Kevin and I would be lying if we said we love tax season. We don't, but it's truly important that all of the tax strategies and planning and uh, uh, optimization strategies we came other clients are executed correctly on the tax return. And Kevin gave the example of our client that, that got the cost segregation, the CPA didn't do anything. We can do a lot of tax planning, but if you don't do it right on the tax return, you don't get it, but again, Working proactively is the way that you mine opportunities out of the tax code, um, and it helps you be proactive in planning with the tax code and, and use it for your own financial freedom versus being a victim of the tax code.
0: Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you guys. I mean, uh, till a few years ago, for me, it was all about tax uh, preparation. And that's when I would contact my CP. But now with the tax planning part is so much more important if you want to, and especially if you're doing it in the beginning of the year, so you can strategize and, you know, your acquisitions around that such valid points. Like we were talking about today, it's not just about tax planning, because I know it's like the time of the year when everyone's just trying to get their taxes filed. It's also about, um, it's not just tax filing, it's also tax planning and strategy. And so, and and they're just so knowledgeable you guys heard them. So uh, definitely reach out to them for that also. I, I think it's super important, especially as real, real estate investors, they're trying to scale rapidly. Uh, you know, your strategy is very important. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Pam.
2: No, thank you. And it, we look forward to speaking with you all in the, in the future. So thank you so much.